Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Uh, I just want to, I'm really excited tonight because I love aliens and weird stuff and the unexplained. And I have um, a very special co-host that I brought with me. Um, <laughs> he's going to be watching the event um, <laughs> from my side. And, uh, you know, he, he may he may pop back in and say hello again. But just wanted to <laughs> howdy. Um, the unidentified. We're honored by his presence. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So such a long uh, way to see us. So, you know, (laughs) he really did, you know, and it's not comfortable in that jar. So like he's really going through a lot and and this is meaningful to him. (laughs) The Erlenmeyer flask. Um, All right. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce tonight's guests. Um, We're delighted. This is going to be so great. You guys, Um, I'm a big fan of the Night Call podcast. I'm a big fan of Colin Dickey. Uh, I'm a big fan of aliens, as I mentioned, as you may have heard. Um, So yeah, I'm just really looking forward to this. All right, tonight we have with us Emily Yoshida. Emily Yoshida is a critic, filmmaker, and staff writer on FX's upcoming Shogun. Her work has appeared in New York Magazine, Grantland, The Verge, Elle, and Vanity Fair. We also have Molly Lambert. Molly Lambert is a writer and podcaster from Los Angeles who recently wrote the introduction for Eve Babbitt's I Used to Be Charming, which is fantastic. Uh, check out Eve. She's a hoot. She's so smart. She's one of the best LA writers ever. Uh, yeah, huge fan as well. All right. And then tonight's featured guest is Colin Dickey. Colin Dickey is a writer, speaker, and academic, and has made a career out of collecting unusual objects and hidden histories all over the country. He's a regular contributor to the LA Review of Books and Lapham's Quarterly, and is the co-editor of the Morbid Anatomy Anthology. He is also a member of the Order of the Good Death, a collective of artists, writers, and death industry professionals interested in improving the Western world's relationship with mortality. With a PhD in comparative literature from the University of Southern California, he is an associate professor of creative writing at National University. His new book is The Unidentified. Welcome, Emily, Molly, and Colin. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Hello. Great. Hello. Hi, Hi, Colin. Hey. Hey. Hi, Emily. Hi, Molly. Hey. Hi, everybody out there in cyberspace, some of whom I know, some of whom I don't. Yeah, we uh, we see some 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 night call crew out there. So thanks so much for showing up. Um, they so a lot of our listeners might already be familiar with your work because we 
read uh, Ghostland, uh, which is your previous book. Was that your last book or was there one in between? Um, no, that was the last one. That was the yeah. last one. Yeah. So yeah. we read that for our book club last summer and it was a big hit and it was just so up our alley. And the way that you approach your paranormal subjects is like very much the way I think we like to approach things on Night Call, which is like not necessarily like, oh, there's definitely ghosts. Oh, there's definitely aliens. But like, why do people believe in this? Like, why do we get drawn to these certain kinds of beliefs? So um, and the unidentified is totally in in that same line. So it was, it's great. We if if night callers are interested in this sort of stuff, they should definitely check it out. Yeah. Uh, Colin, hi, nice to see you. I wanted to say that all of your books are very night call friendly. You wrote another book about shipwrecks. Boat I did. Stuff. Boat? Didn't you write a book about boats? About no. Boats? No? <laughs> I did. No, but I, I long ago um, I wrote a thing on on phrenology and stolen heads. And um, oh, I remember that. Back yeah. when you were doing this recording, I, I I did. You let me do a weird weird thing about um, skull recordings for you. So yeah. Who would have wow. known phrenology would come back? <laughs> right, right. Like when I was doing this, I was like, ah, no, nobody cares about phrenology. And now I'm like, oh, this is now a dominant talking point in like the far oh right. <laughs> well, once again, you have your finger on the pulse because this book is about the aliens. Um, oh my God, you still have your alien doodads. I got my steely boppers. <laughs> I'm ready to talk. Mine were sitting in the bottom of my purse for such a long time. I had these two little green alien heads in the bottom, just to remind me of my roots. Um, we, we had those for a night call event for a while back. But um, yeah, so uh, the unidentified, where shall we start? I, uh, I mean, I, I kind of had a question because there is so much overlap between Ghostland and this. Did you kind of start to feel while you were writing Ghostland that you were going to have to do a thing about like cryptids and, and UFOs and shit too? Or is that, or I don't know if I can say No, that. no, it's funny. No, yeah, because I like, I I was going to do something on vampires instead. That was the thing that I thought was going to follow this. But Do um, it, do it. No, right. Um, but like, I, I was actually, I was just tweeting one night, which is ridiculous. Don't admit that. Don't admit that, Colin. Don't admit that that's how this happened. But yes, I was, I was tweeting about something and I, I went off on how, you know, 14% of Americans believe that Bigfoot is real at the time. Yeah. Thank you. I was tweeting when I, now that's great. Now it's set in stone. Thanks. Thanks <laughs> um, uh, you know, that 14% of Americans believe in Bigfoot, a number which has gone up since then, you know, and, and, you know, I think like, you're like, Oh, that's not too many, but then you do the math and it's like, that's like 42 million people or something like that. And that's when I was like, I was like, Oh, that's a, that's a really significant, portion of yeah. human beings and it seems like that was when I was like oh yeah you know what's what's going on here you know because I I guess because I grew up I don't I, I think you two similarly like I grew up with like the Leonard Nimoy show in search of um, oh, I didn't you, watch it so much but I, I'm, I'm familiar with it yeah yeah and there was like the time life uh unexplained mystery series and so uh -huh. like I, I grew up with that stuff and I just kind of assumed it like died out after the X-Files went off the air. And then and then when I was like started, I was like, oh no, it's still very much happening. So yeah, so they just brought yeah. back um uh oh god, what's the Netflix show that they brought back? Unsolved Mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. Unsolved Mysteries, right. UFO abduction in, in the Berkshires story. Yeah. That unsolved mysteries. 
Yeah. yeah. The the real unsolved mystery is why they thought they could do this without Robert Stack in a trench coat. <laughs> honestly, like I was like, oh, it, oh, it came back, and then I was like, I was so excited. I was like, where's Robert Stack? Where's that that weirdly like comforting yet mysterious yet sort of benevolent yet slightly creepy way that he had of like he's like concerned but also a little scary. Like it was just great. There was something something great about Robert Stack and yeah. R.I.P. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's, I mean, clearly this stuff is very much back in a major way and not in a niche way at all. And it feels like something more than just how Doc Martens came back and like how a bunch of 90s stuff is coming back. It feels very much in step with everything that's going on in our world geopolitically uh, and economically. I think one thing that was super interesting to me, um, I think it was early in the book that um, you kind of brought up the idea of, of um, conspiracy theories and, and, you know, skepticism about science and everything as being a kind of economic thing um, that, you know, when you, when you place like science within these institutions that, like only wealthy elite people get to go to, then there's going to be a backlash, you know, if, if not on the actual information that's being disseminated there, then just on the fact that there's, you know, just resentment over this kind of gated community of, of what's known as science. And I thought that, you know, that seems that was true in the 1800s and it's true now. Um, and that was really interesting to kind of see you lay that out. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's like, like in by the end of the 19th century science is not really a thing that like you can do in your study with a microscope you know like it's sort of like gotten big you know you now have to have a phd you need to let like get like grant funding you need to like work at a university or at a hospital or something like that and and i was not really expecting when i started researching this i was not expecting the whole rise of of particularly cryptozoology um but to come out of a, a, like an almost resentment against um you know the scientific establishment you know this idea that like like those eggheads don't don't know anything and you you know if you want to discover the next you know primate you can do it with yeah. some buddies and a six pack of beer and a motion detector out you know and like disruption and, baby yeah no it is yeah it's like the killer app right you know like yeah, yeah you can just like innovate your way into discovering bigfoot but it is like you know and i i i, I did a bunch of ghost hunts for the last book and i did some cryptid hunts for this one and like I mean, they're genuinely fun. <laughs> I mean, they're right. like really cool to go out and like, I don't know, like if you've like, if you've gone bird watching or like, you know, whale watching or something, you have to be kind of quiet. You have to be kind of still and like kind of empty your mind and, and open, you know, yourself up to like, you know, your senses and that kind of stuff. But that's for like things that exist. If you're like going to find something that doesn't actually exist, you have to go like one step or sorry, may not exist. Um, <laughs> you know, you have to go one step further. You have to like come to this like place where you're like, I am so part of nature that even a mysterious water beast or, you know, a Sasquatch could walk right in front of me and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make a move a muscle, you know, something like that. Yeah. So it was like, this, like I, I was like, Oh, you know, there's so much about this that is all these weird, like all this weird intersection of different kinds of pleasures, but, um, but also bound up in this kind of rejection of like, you know, going to a university and getting a primatology degree and like doing field work in Africa where there are like are spaces that there might still be new undiscovered primates out there, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So 
because that's where the last actual prime new primate was discovered somewhere in maybe Rwanda, but it was just a couple of years oh, ago. Wow. So, so yeah, so oh, like, wow. so, like we're yeah. still discovering new primates. They're just not like, they're not humanoids in Northern California, you know? So. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, can't rule it out, right? No, you can't rule it out. You cannot rule it out. And uh, yeah, yeah, so it's cool. It may still be out there, I don't know. It seems like it's more just about the journey for those people. It's about having a thing to do with your friends right exactly yeah i mean it is well right and the the thing though that i thought was really interesting with like the ghost hunting is like you can get you know the whole thing about ghost hunting is you get all these like all this noise right you know whether or not you're using like an evp or like a k2 meter or like a you know infrared to get like you can get you can get noise and maybe that's a ghost to you maybe it's not but it's like there and it's there for you to interpret you can listen back to an evp and you can decide whether or not those things that you're hearing you know, come from the beyond or not. But like, it's so much harder when you're looking for Bigfoot because there's just like, I mean, like it doesn't, the nature creates a different kind of noise. It doesn't create that kind of, the kind of ghostly traces. And so it, it really, it's like, like, yeah, it is a really, it, you're right. It's all about that kind of like camaraderie and spending time with people, but it's in a kind of very different way than I found than, than ghost hunting was for better or for worse. Uh, it's sort of interesting, like, I guess, you know, you mentioned that the most, the, the, the last primate was just found a couple of years ago. And you also talk in the book about how, you know, a lot of this sort of interest in the paranormal and spiritualism and all this stuff in between that exists in between science and religion sort of came up when the idea of the frontier started to go away. But like zoology is still a frontier <laughs> like there are still insane things that like i've been watching blue planet with my mom and like watching the deep sea episode it's just like oh there are aliens here they're just like in the ocean and they're finding well, new ones all the time that's, that's what, what i was gonna say is like have we also we can't rule out the idea of an underwater sasquatch yes right? we absolutely cannot no we cannot rule that's out the well, idea of an underwater sasquatch these are all underwater yeah um right and i guess that's what yeah that's what i was saying before it's like it's like yeah there's there's still so much we don't know just like what's you know on the like bathosphere four thousand meters down like there's right. like you know but like the difference is you can't just go there you know like right. you need a very expensive submersible and so that's why it's like cameron <laughs> yeah right yeah exactly I was so, say, like even james cameron doesn't want to go there really he wants to go to space and drill a hole in the moons of jupiter but he's not water is his first that. love space is his second <laughs> yeah. love yeah he did the abyss before avatar molly <laughs> i feel like you're more likely to find what you're more likely to find the humanoids in the ocean yeah than on the jupiter moon I mean, I'm very much, I, yes, I believe, I mean, there, there was a thing they found a couple of years ago that was like a white feathered lobster. Ooh, yeah. Like, oh yeah. I've seen that. So cool. The yeah, fancy, so like, fancy lobster. Yeah. yeah. It's always like stepping out on a Friday <laughs> yeah, night. <totally. laughs> My like, friend Lily, her whole practice is painting like super deep sea creatures. And she painted that guy a bunch. It's the Yeti yeah. crab, I believe uh -huh. it is. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. convenient segue. Yeah. Yeti crab. Um, yeah, so we wanted to just kind of highlight, like, you know, if it, there's so many, there's so many things in this book. There's so many subjects, all of which are very interesting, like multiple different cryptids that you go into the history of and everything. But um, we wanted to talk a little bit about the Yeti. 
tonight. Yes. Because yes. uh, um, yeah. I learned some stuff about the Yeti from your book that I had no idea. I had no idea that Yeti hunting might have been like a CIA op. Right. Yes, Pretty exactly. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so we had talked about maybe doing a reading. I don't think I can I can pull an easy passage out of the Yeti Chronicles in a way that I can um uh can do slickly, but I can I'll maybe just talk a little, I'll just tell a little bit of Yeti, Yeti fun. Um so <laughs> My favorite story, this was a, this was like really the story that um, when I came across this in my research, I was like, oh, okay, this, this book's going to work. Like this was like really the moment I was like, oh, okay, there's a, there's a thing here. And so, okay, so there's this guy, Tom Slick, and Tom Slick is this like uh, oil scion. He makes some, his family makes a bunch of money in oil. So he's got money to burn and he believes in, he, he's like all in for cryptids, right? And, and the whole thing about like Yeti hunting is, you know, again, unlike Sasquatch hunting or, or Loch Ness monster hunting, it's like, you need a lot of money because you got to go up to the Himalayas. You have to like have an expedition, right? So, so the great thing about Tom Slick is he will fund this stuff, right? So, um, so in the um, in the late fifties and sixties, Tom Slick is funding these various Yeti expeditions, and um, there's this guy. What is his name? Patrick Byrne? I forget his name now. Um, somebody Byrne. Uh, he's 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 Irish. Uh, I'm not going to be able to find it. Anyways, we'll just call him Patrick for for the sake of loving him. Um, so he's, you know, he's an explorer and he, he gets hooked up with, with Tom Slick to like do this expedition for the Yeti. And, he, and he's, he's roaming around the Himalayas and he finds this monastery with these monks who have a, um, a Yeti hand. And, and they're like, yes, this is, the, this is our Yeti hand. And, and, um, and Patrick Burns like, can I have it? <laughs> and they're like, no, you may not. You may not have, because this is like a source of like, you know, spiritual reverence and also yeah. tourist dollars for us. And it's you their relic. Yeah, exactly. It's very yeah. much like a like a Catholic relic, right? Yeah. So um so he goes back to Tom Slick and he's like, look, the monks are absolutely not going to give me that Yeti hand. And and Tom Slick's like, you gotta go back and get it. And what if you could just like swap it with another hand? And Patrick Burns like, okay, where do I get another dried up hand? And um it's like the big Lebowski. Yeah, and so he's like, oh yeah, you want you want to dry up mommy hand? I'll get you one. Yeah, so, no, and seriously, he does. He like comes back. They're like in London somewhere. Comes back with a paper bag and just dumps it out on the floor. And there's like a dried, desiccated hand. He's like, no excuses now. Get back and get, you know. Like, so he's, like, like, racing Arizona, nobody like, knows where the hand comes from. You kind no, of skim over that part. It's just like, like it's just not in the record. Yeah, it's like, it's like yeah, give me that yeti hand. I need that yeti hand. Uh, <laughs> so right, so like okay, so he goes back. He gets the. He gets the the monk on duty drunk so that he can like do the swap. So he swaps out this un hand of unknown provenance for the Yeti hand. And now he's got the Yeti hand and now he's in Tibet. And he's like, okay, now th then the question is, how do you get it to how do you get a Yeti hand out of Tibet? But you get it to India very easily. And now you're in India, but India has really strict customs. So he calls Tom Slick and he's like, I got the hand. I'm in India and I don't know how to get it to England. And Tom Slick is like, go to the Calcutta Hotel and meet with Jimmy Stewart. Incredible. Incredible. And so, and like, yeah, and like, sure enough, like there's Jimmy Stewart and his wife vacationing in India. And they're like, yes, we hear you have a Yeti hand. You need to get out of the country. And so they agree to <laughs> smuggle it with the understanding that nobody is going to harass famous Hollywood actor Jimmy Stewart and his wife. Um, so they fly to London and she, his wife has 
the Yeti hand in her lingerie case. Cause they're also like, who's going to search a lingerie yeah, kit? Right? Yeah. So, right. So, um, so they, they, they get to, they get the, they land in Heathrow, they clear customs, they get back to their hotel or whatever. And like the lingerie case is gone. And, you know, now they're freaking out. Cause now, you know, now Hollywood legend, Jimmy Stewart has fucked up and lost the Yeti hand. Um, <laughs> but, um, but then the next day, like the airport uh, customs agents arrive and they're like, we're so sorry. This got left out. We're really sorry. Here it is. Here's your lingerie case. And, sh and she's like, did you, did you open it? They're like, we would never open a lady's lingerie case. <laughs> so that's how this Yeti hand gets from a monastery in Tibet all the way to London. And um, it turns out it's, I mean, like, it's sort of unsurprising me, but like, you know, they quickly realize it's just a human hand. Yeah. Like again, where did that human hand come from? I don't know. Yeah. But like it's like it's only a yeti hand in that monastery. It only has power right. in the original context. Once you take it's like it's like the spell's broken. You know, once you take yeah. it out of that context, it's it's just it's a it dried up old hand. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, that story was incredible. And and then, you know, the how these expeditions to go up and go yeti hunting became this thing that like became a part of like um nepalese relations like like geopolitical like like you had to pay a certain sum to go and hunt the yeti and it was like a way of keeping things chill between uh that part of the country and the u.s or something and then like all these people who were going up like happen just happened to have intelligence community connections <laughs> right because like, again like like nepal is like it's like this small country it's friendly with england and the united states but it's on the border of china and yeah. so like, yeah, like suddenly during this the Cold War, it like stuff. takes this, yeah. this like huge geopolitical, and also it's got a lot of tall mountains you can look into China yeah. from, you know? And so like, it takes on this huge geopolitical significance. And um, there is, um, yeah, as you say, like a lot of these guys, like there's a CIA file on Tom Slick because they're like, not sure if he's like maybe working for the communists. And like, you know, a lot of these Yeti expeditions turned out to be like secretly funded by the CIA as like yeah. cover to collect, you know, and like I, I found this great document from the the State Department or, or it's the U.S. Embassy in Nepal basically saying like granting Nepalese sovereignty over any Yeti discovery, you know, and like basically saying like if the Yeti is discovered, it belongs to Nepal. All photographs belong to Nepal. Please don't kill the Yeti unless it's in self-defense. And it's yeah. like it's like straight up like because we want to be in good graces with these guys so we can spy on their mountains into China. Yeah. So it's crazy. And, yeah. And in good graces with the Yetis. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, they right. don't destroy mankind. I um, love that there is official verbiage about like don't kill the Yeti. Like that's like somebody's actual law. <laughs> right. Like some diplomat is like, like, yeah, I, I can't go out. I got to finish the Yeti memo. Yeah, like. <laughs> there are um, differing points on Bigfoot on what you should do when you catch Bigfoot. Such as? Such as <laughs> kill him or. You Who's trying to kill a Bigfoot? That's... Big game. Oh yeah, God. right. Well, well Most no, dangerous yeah. game. There's, a, I, there's this article from this like men's magazine in 1968, I think, that's like, this guy is like, I was terrified by Bigfoot. And then the, the, um, the the article is like, what if he had killed him? Does Bigfoot have rights? Does Bigfoot have like legal standing? And then it becomes this whole thing of like, you know, it becomes again it becomes this very obvious like weird meditation on like race because it's like, what if what if Bigfoot needs to be on welfare? And what if you know we have to support Bigfoot because he can't get a job for himself? And like, um, John, uh, just to interrupt, John, I'm sorry that 
the Tibetans. Oh yeah. Oh, sorry, the Nepalese. I keep saying Tibet. I'm so sorry. That's awful. But uh, the the Nepalese did, monks did not get their their yeti hand back. But there is a website devoted to that, uh, trying to raise awareness to recover the hand, or at least there was a oh, couple wow. years ago. I'm not sure if it's still around, but yeah. Where is the um, hand now? After Jimmy Stewart literally did a Hitchcock movie plot. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know that it is known. If it is okay. somewhere, somebody somewhere has in the it. UK. Yeah, uh, but I just don't throw it in the British Museum with all the rest of the stolen stuff. Like just... somebody's got it on their mantle, but it's yeah. like it's like you know, like it's hidden under like a like a you know like a sheet or something like that. And it's like it's only after like the fourth or fifth drink there's like you want to see my Yeti hand, you oh know? And that's when it comes out. Yeah. So oh yeah, there it is. There's the link. Returnthehand.com. Yes. Oh so, wow! Great URL. Returnthehand.com. <laughs> I'm clicking right now. Wait, will my, my screen go? I just want to see Somebody it. Somebody should make like an opposite Indiana Jones movie, like a, you know, decolonialist. Oh my God. Really? It's just like about, yeah, it's just oh, it's about, so, yeah, it's so Indiana Jones. It's about the monks trying to get the hand back from the evil Americans who stole it and the CIA. Yeah. Do, do you guys, did you ever watch this show? This is a tangent, not about my book, but um, did you ever watch the show Friday the 13th, the series? No. It has nothing to do with the movies. It was like um, the um, the plot is basically the or the the premise is that there was this antiques dealer who makes a deal with the devil, and um, all of his antiques are cursed. And then after he dies, the antiques get split up around the world. So like every episode is like it's like a, it's like a, a Fox Mulder Scully situation where it's like you know two 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 detectives detectives whatever, but their job is to go around and like collect these cursed artifacts. So like. Each one is like based around somebody discovering one of these artifacts and then mayhem and murder breaking out and then they have to investigate and figure it out. Um, it's rad. I love it. And it is, it's a version a little bit of what you're talking about. If like the curse yeah, totally. was actually colonialism. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, you see it a lot. It's like anytime people do excavate, there was like the, the cursed mummy blood yeah, the mummy, where they were like, "Oh, it's got all this red liquid in the casket." Oh, right, right, yeah. But all that Let's kind of it. all the mummies curse stuff really just seems like a metaphor for what it's really about, which is like British people looting the world. Right, right, yeah, yeah. That's quite literally. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. So, um, what's Sasquatch a metaphor for? Well, okay. So what's what's cool about Sasquatch? Sasquatch is that um, <laughs> squatching. You know these stories. These stories of like, like what what anthropologists and folklorists call like the wild man myth. Like this idea that there's like, just outside of town, they're living in the mountains or the forest. There's this hairy, sort of human-like thing that doesn't speak English, but is sort of sentient and sort of uncivilized, and will come in to town and maybe cause mayhem or whatever. And like you know, so like these stories, you find them like all over the all over the globe, right? Um, and and like the Sasquatch story and the Yeti story are both very much of that ilk. But like what happens is like it goes from being folklore to um, it kind of drops out of folklore into history in this weird way in like the 20th century. And I think that's like a big kind of backbone of what a lot of this stuff is doing. It's like things that were like stable kind of folklore and myths and sort of religious traditions like suddenly like took on this kind of physical weight in some way. And then suddenly became actual things. They became actual UFOs. They became actual creatures who lived over there. And I think that's like a thing that I found really fascinating 
and sort of researching and writing the book is like tracing how something sort of went from being just a, a, a story or a legend into something that actually could like literally exist. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, and also like very much of its time, because like, as I keep saying, it's like in the, in the 50s, if you were like, I was, I walked through the forest and I saw this thing and I grabbed my camera, but all I could get was this blurry photo. But trust me, it was a crazy Sasquatch or whatever. Like we'd be like, yeah, okay, that sounds uh -huh. plausible. But like uh -huh. now it's like, everybody's got a freaking phone in their pocket. Like where, you know, like if it exists yeah. out there, you should, you should be getting high def images of <laughs> right now, you know? And so like, so like it really depended both on this like sort of cachet of folklore and also the very narrow band of technology available at the time, you know, with like photos and like, you know, Super 8 film and stuff like that. Like that's what, it was like the alchemy of like the technology and the folklore that came together and made yeah. Bigfoot and, and the Yeti into like quote unquote real things. Yeah, that's what that's why the ocean stuff still feels like fertile ground because it's less easy to just go out with your phone and take a picture of Loch Ness monster. <laughs> like, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Who knows? Until they start making iPhones like pressure resistant, and you can go down in your cell. Yeah. Colin, did you think when you shaved off all your fur and wrote this book that no one would discover your ruse? <laughs> <laughs> You were leading them right to you as the Sasquatch, just like begging people to to find out. That Molly, this is a whole book about it. About Sasquatches deserving equal, in fact, superior rights to humans. <laughs> um, I agree with that. Aligned. And, Who's biased, um, honestly? And I don't know. Beyond that, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> um, uh, on a on a more real note, I wanted to say. It's interesting uh, that a lot of the UFO conspiracies particularly have been sort of verified by the CIA recently, yeah. as at least demonstrating have people saw something. Have they? Just some files have come out. Oh, are you saying it's a it's a ho double hoax? Oh, no, I'm not saying it's a hoax. I'm just saying that like, it, like yeah, like when, when those videos got released and everybody was like, oh my God, aliens. And I was like, and I, you know, and there's, there's definitely like a gray blob and uh, and a pilot saying, I don't know what that gray blob is. Um, and what it what turns out, and again, I'm not I'm not saying it's not aliens, but I'm also saying that like through the record, you can actually find mid-level Air Force officers stating that they saw a weird unidentified object like all the way back to the 40s. And so like so like we think of it as like new, but it's actually a very like nothing has really changed, you know, in that sense. So like whatever whatever we're learning now. Like we basically had versions of that story back in like 1949, so maybe that. Book. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is still online, and you can read if you really want to like lull yourself. So, have you guys read well, any of that? Some of the stuff when I first started going deep on like UFO sightings, one of the sort of conspiracies inside the conspiracy is that they wanted people to think it was aliens rather than top secret military testing. So they would mm -hmm. encourage the conspiracy and like tell locals, like you saw something, but like tell no one what you saw, like men in black style, because yeah. they wanted the conspiracy rather than the idea that there were just like mysterious uh, aircrafts that defy the laws of science as we know them so far. Well, right, and this is again like I, I, you know, I've always heard that. I was always been like, well, that seems a bit far fetched. I don't know. And then, you know, I discovered the story of like Paul Benowitz, 
um, which was truly horrifying to me. And again, because it, it's that this is a story that has been more or less verified that um, Paul Benowitz was an Air Force contractor and a veteran who was living on the edge of Kirtland Air Force Base in Albuquerque. And he started seeing weird flying ships over the Air Force Base at night and he started photographing them. And the Air Force could have gone to Paul Benowitz, who was a very patriotic guy and, you know, obviously worked for the Air Force, like the Air Force, um, and could have said, uh, look, can you just not say anything about what you saw or, you know, like not share your your video with, um, you know, the UFO community, who, because we think that, you know, the Soviets are probably infiltrating the, um, you know, the, the uh, UFO community. And so you could just keep it mum. Um, and... Um, and instead, they were like, "We're gonna, we're gonna pump you so full of crazy conspiracy theories and misinformations that nobody will take you seriously." And so they, yeah, um, yeah. And as as Steve notes in the in the chat, Greg Bishop's Project Beta, uh, it really delves deep into this. There's also an, a documentary called uh, "The Mirage Men," um, based on uh, Mark Pilkington's book that also goes into it. And it's and it is like it is like really chilling to see the way that they basically were like. Oh yeah, he's a veteran. He probably has, you know, sort of low-level PTSD to begin with. And yeah. let's just go ahead and just like drive him crazy, and which they they did more or less. Yeah. And so, so yeah, that so seemed to be like, their mo around then. Like same with a lot of the MK Ultra stuff too. Always just like like oh, it just like ruin somebody's brain rather than like actually, you know fix a situation that's another thing that's like bigfoot to me where it's like there's no proof but you know there's so many there's so much research in the cia about manchurian candidate stuff and then it comes up in a lot of conspiracy theories as like yes they can brainwash people and you see that they have no problem going after people's brains and yeah. trying to make people seem crazy Right, exactly. Yeah, I think, you know, I think a lot of this um, kind of, as you said, like at the time, it was sort of like, I don't know, let's see what we can do. Let's see what we can get away with. You know, like I, I think particularly for me, you know, and this is this isn't really in the book, but this, so this is just kind of a hypothesis of mine. But like it, it for me, it really starts in the kind of Manhattan Project era where, you know, they start the the government starts having a really cavalier attitude towards testing human subjects like the you guys know the green run, right? Uh, I don't think so. What is they it? deliberately released a cloud of radioactive um, like particles over uh, Hanford, Washington, to track oh. the, like the just the the biology yeah. of it, and yeah. so there and it got out of hand, and it you know like sickened all of these mm -hmm. American citizens, right? So it's like you know yeah. yeah, it was like just like a it was like a moment in time when they were like, well, you know, we like in the interest of keeping the nation as a whole safe. We're we should have free license to individual uh, right. experiment on individual Americans and like and it yeah. always turns into the island of Dr. Moreau, which is yeah. another possibility for a Sasquatch. We should not discount is that you know Elon Musk made one in a lab and it's out <laughs> running around Silicon Valley. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, okay, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah okay. throw that throw that one again. Like can't even make a little underground tube. No, well, he didn't do it. Somebody yeah. did it that he paid, you know, but yeah. I'm just saying, I think there's something about those kinds of high level of secrecy projects that makes people also go mad with power. Well, yeah, I think there's so much also, I mean, there's so much documented 
stories like this, like the the Green Run thing, which I I didn't know about specifically, but I mean, even when you just look at like water supply stuff that's going on now, like how much in that case, like corporate interests are are you know just endangering people, and the government is letting it slide. Like that is like such a part of our life now that um and this is like all this is something i wanted to ask you about so i'm glad we got here but i want um because this is like the conspiracy theory du jour but uh the whole covid 5g thing like it sounds insane when you first hear it and then you just think about it in the context of like all the other like kind of uh anything else that you know could be putting people at risk because you know either through radioactive waves or uh or or nuclear waste or something like that you know it it and then you it doesn't seem as far-fetched i don't say i won't say that it sounds believable but like you can understand the psychology of a belief like that um, yeah i mean well certainly you know i mean there was this whole period around this you know at the same time that the cia is you know doing mk ultra and stuff like that there's also like there's all these communities that are having like, you know, bizarrely high rates of lymphoma. And it turns out because some <coughs> chemical company is like dumping mm-hmm. stuff in the groundwater and like, you know, or like, just like, look at Flint right now, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, so, so it's like, so it's like on the one hand, you're like, yeah, this stuff happens all the time. It's often invisible. It's often like hushed up and, um, and, and it's very believable because it happens all the time. And then the leap from that to like 5g is a really fascinating one because it's sort of like you're taking something that is plausible and then stretching it into an like an almost kind of like kind of sci-fi version um and not just like but i think even more than it what what it is for me is it's not that it's 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 outlandish so much as it's totalizing right like um like a, a localized groundwater pollution thing is is a terrible thing that happens but it happens to a community the the narrative around 5g is that it is like a universal like wash over the entire globe that affects everybody and there's no escape from it and it's this yeah. insidious invisible omnipotent force throughout and i think that's like the thing about a conspiracy theorist um like i keep saying this it's like a weirdly optimistic belief in the world that everything in the world has a makes sense and ha- yeah. yeah it makes sense and there's and like it's a, it's an optimistic belief in like human agency right, right? it says that like a group of 12 guys in pinstripe suits and cigars can manipulate everything down to the thoughts in my brain right now, you know? And like, yeah. and so like, there's this idea that like, if if the conspiracy theorists conceive of it, then they can implement it perfectly and it will happen exactly as they plan to it. And everything, and there's no such thing as chaos or randomness or, you know, arbitrariness, it's all orchestrated. I think that's something that's really struck me recently about QAnon is the the religiousness of it, where it's like, does it matter that it's continuously disproved? That just sort of strengthens people's faith in it. And now that they're trying to crack down on links on some of the social media sites, people are just getting more creative about how they post about it. Right, right oblique with the yeah. language and the more that people feel like it's being repressed, the more they're like, oh, they're trying to repress it because it's true. Right. On the other hand, more actually insane things are happening that are real than probably ever in our lifetimes before that we have awareness of. Right. Um, well, so yeah, because like I have this friend who um, sent me this like this thing about this like child sex trafficking ring in Oklahoma that he'd seen this documentary and he'd found this website and he's like, this is real. It's happening. And I looked at it and I was like, on the one hand, I was like, 
okay, this this doesn't like it wasn't. I wrote him back the song. Then I was like, okay, like I don't. I'm not saying this isn't happening, but if it if it was happening based on known conspiracies that we have, it would look like this. You know, a you know once the first victim came forward, a bunch of victims would came forward, which is what happened with Harvey Weinstein, right? You know, like what you know, uh, somebody on their deathbed would have said, you know, I I gotta I gotta you know unburden myself or like. Or you could go ask a journalist. And again, like with like the Weinstein, like, you know, there were journalists who were like, I was trying to crack the story forever, but I couldn't get anybody on the record. So you would like, you would, you would hear, you know, so I was like, I don't right. think. Yeah, well, the conspiracy there wasn't that nobody would go on the record. It's that nobody would publish the story. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, but, you know, but like, yeah. right. so with the Oklahoma, th this Oklahoma thing that he was telling me about, it's like, it's like, I'm not saying that it's, I'm not saying I disbelieve it. I was just like, I expect a bunch of things that I've seen in other conspiracy theories, but then I also asked him, I was like, why don't you have the same sort of emotional reaction to like the Catholic church or like Jeffrey Epstein, who are like, these are like legitimate, you know, sex trafficking scandals that we're like aware of. And they, you know, and he, he just seemed unmoved by them because they didn't bring with that, like with that same kind of like secret knowledge. Right. You know, there was something about like, not only is this thing happening, but only a select few of us. The Jeffrey Epstein thing, I feel like there's still so much on, you know, left to be learned about it. I, yeah. that one also broke my brain because there were blind items about it on Crazy Days and Nights for years. Mm. And there was a point where I was reading it and I was like, oh no, this is a QAnon site. They're posting about this like child tra trafficking, Pizzagate stuff. And then it turned out that was real. So I think having to like make the distinction of like there is child sex trafficking, but like it's not happening with people sending children in Wayfair cabinets. Uh, right. It's happening through like a network of modeling agencies. It's right, like right. the truth well, is also crazy. So trying to tell someone who has a crazy idea that their crazy idea isn't true, but yours is, is like very a weird place to be in as a culture. Yeah, that's also like, it was, it was, too, I, it's hard, for, it's like, this is kind of a stretch, but I think like, um, you know, the other like child trafficking situations going on right now is like, you know, families being separated from <laughs> borders and, um, you know, children being taken from their parents and then sent to Christian orphanages around the country, which is, you know, is very, you know, a literal child trafficking thing yeah. in my mind. Mm -hmm. And who is providing the furniture for those deportation camps right. like Wayfair among other, you know, so like, I'm like, mm -hmm. Wayfair is actually participating yeah. in a, in like a yeah. known understood child sex trafficking, or not sex, but child trafficking ring. And it is because of this nation's like yeah. really just unacceptable immigration policy. So yeah. then you is, have like, all the pieces, you yeah. just like haven't put them together. In yeah, the right. like, it's like that is like, it's, it's convoluted and it's, it's more abstract and it doesn't have that like silver bullet cutting through everything that like reduces everything to a simple narrative. But it's still like a game of telephone in a way where you're like, it's weird that there's a grain of truth in some of these things. Yeah. Well, there's always a grain of truth because that's what like, that's what gets them going, you know, like yeah. they all start from that grain of truth. So, yeah. Do you think that that's, cause this is something I, I, I see people say constantly when we're talking about conspiracies and we're talking about fake news and, and all this sort of like half truth stuff that floats around and how it, it just get has so it, it it grows so much faster now because of the internet and everything. But do you feel like, other than the internet being this engine for it, do you feel like historically we are living in a time that lends itself more to conspiratorial thinking than you know at least within the context of say American history or what, what's your feel on it? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, like, yeah. So the internet you know, YouTube algorithms do push this kind of stuff. Um, but it, I think it's more primal than that. I think that in times 
in times of insecurity and sort of uncertainty, people gravitate towards conspiracy theories precisely because they reduce the world down to a simple and knowable um, and like perfectly agented reality, even if it's malevolent. Yeah. Um, but I also think, you know, like the last 50 years, I mean, you know, like starting with COINTELPRO and MKUltra and, um, you know, we have begun this trajectory towards um, a kind of failure of institutions to um, protect us. So like, so the government with, you know, the, you know, those various scandals and then, you know, the sort of like the tobacco industry and all these like corporations that are sort of clearly poisoning people for financial gain. Um, and then things like just sort of like, um, you know, or like the Tuskegee experiment or um, just the like rampant failure of, of the AIDS response in the eighties. Um, so you just have like all of these like legitimate moments where it's like, oh, institutions are failing us. And it and that doesn't like, that doesn't justify something like, like say an anti-vaxxer and like, you know, vaccinate your kids. Um, but you sort of see like, it's like, oh, because we have lost that, like that kind of communal sense of like, you know, these are people to be trusted so that, you know, now people are like, well, if, if, if we can't trust these people, then I can make up any reality that I want basically. The anti-vaxxers again, feels like it comes from something real, which is that like doctors have not historically, you know, treated female subjects as much as males. There's yeah. racism in the medical practice around that. But the fact that it's like rich white women in, you know, the Palisades being right. like, I right. don't trust these doctors. I'm going to give this baby essential oils. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, Maddie has returned. I wonder if that means it's time for question. Yeah. question yes. Time. Yes. We've got a couple of questions here in the queue. Um, okay, thank you great. so much for that great conversation. I, I love the way that we leapt from one conspiracy <laughs> to another. I mean, they are, they're all connected too, right? <laughs> it truly is. It is all connected. We have a red <laughs> string here. All right. First question from Ben. How did you learn about the great windshield putting panic of 1954? Pitting the, panic, I think. I think, it, I think it was just a typo, but yeah. The, the great windshield pitting panic of 1954. Ben, that's actually, I, I saw that question come up and I was like, where did I come across? I was just like, I, I was one of those days, I don't know, sometimes you're just like clicking through, um, you know, just kind of going down various research rabbit holes. And um, I, I came across that story. And as you said, I mean, like it is, it is totally mundane. Um, it is bizarre, but like, but also like, I was like, once I, I was like, oh yeah, this, this sort of, this keys in a lot for me, you know, this idea that like, if you go, if you go looking for something and start focusing on something that's been right in front of your face all this time, but you've never really looked at it, you will find things very bizarre and uncanny quite quickly. You know, like with, again, with, with the ghost book, like I remember like doing this ghost hunt where we had these like um, little infrared handheld cameras and like, and just like, if you just like pan a darkened room with an infrared camera, you will freak yourself. The, the you would just like, you freak yourself out because it's like, the only time you ever see slow pans of infrared cameras are in horror movies. And right. so like, even though it's totally <laughs> mundane, yeah. or like if you just like do this, like if you just like um, take out your phone and start recording like something, like I, I did it once with like, just like the window air conditioner, like just like, just record the window air conditioner for like 30 seconds or a minute or something. And like, Show somebody, show it to somebody else without context, and it will like unnerve them because they're like, "What's going to happen?" What's going to happen? And then you've made a David Lynch movie. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's probably where I got a lot of that. <laughs> so yeah. All right. Next question from Steve D. 
Uh, does the idea that conspiracy theory is optimistic or simplistic make sense when it often leads people down rabbit holes that are traumatizing and psychologically damaging? And what about stories like MK Ultra or COINTELPRO that were dismissed contemporaneously as paranoia slash conspiracy theories? And what about the possibility that things like QAnon are active disinformation campaigns? Uh, thanks, Steve. No, that's, uh, let me see if I can. So like, on the one hand, you're right. Well, like when I say it's, when I say that a conspiracy theory is optimistic, I mean that in a very specific and curious way, because you're right. Often they are quite psychologically damaging. They are quite, you know, they, they foster paranoia. Um, I only mean it optimistic in the sense of like, they optimistically believe that every, every act and agency is, is uh, perfectly implemented. You know, that's like, it's the optimism is that there's no such thing as chaos or randomness. Yeah, um, it's like about that, human agency basically being right. supreme. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's think, also like there's a group of evil people in charge. They're evil, and it might be traumatizing to think about how evil they are, but like they're controlling everything, and that's why you have no control. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about that one as the Jewish conspiracy has come back a lot. Um, because, yeah, again, it's like it allows you to displace all of the blame onto one group, which is satisfying, probably. Right. Well, and it, and it gives you it gives you a an out for your situation, right? If you are not happy with your lot in life, if you feel like you should be making more money, um, you know, it gives you an excuse. I mean, and you know, like that or I mean, that's that's one way to say it, but you know, like it sort of gives gives a rationale for why you you are at the place that you're at in a, in a sort of simple way that's not just like capitalism or whatever yeah. you know like so like so that's so that's what i mean by optimistic but like what what let me see what it is um, capitalism usually is the thing too i did a podcast yeah. about the illuminati as well and how there were conspiracy theories about the illuminati immediately after the illuminati the bavarian group called the illuminati was forced to disband they were basically just like freemasons with mm -hmm. slightly different rules but as soon as they were broken up there were conspiracies that they had planned and done the french revolution but there's like a grain of truth to that too, because it was basically a rationalist group. It was people who were really into rationalism and they opened some branches in France and possibly helped spread the idea of rationalism to France. So again, it's usually like illuminating about something in the public consciousness. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, wait, what was the next question? The next question was what about stories like MK Ultra? That were dismissed as paranoid conspiracy theories, but were true, right? That, and that's 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 what I was saying about the Oklahoma thing that somebody was telling me about. It's like I, I'm not ready to like outright dismiss conspiracy theories per se, but like I think that um, we now have seen enough actual conspiracies that have been proven true, including those in Watergate and Iran Contra and the Catholic ab abuse scandal, that like we sort of know what things look like. So like so okay, so an example is like. Water, like Woodward and Bernstein, once they started asking around, like who who got them all the information? It was like secretaries, right? It was like mm -hmm. it was like low level employees because the 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 Illuminati doesn't shred their own documents. They don't get their own food. You know, they don't like they don't take out the trash right. themselves. And so like so like there's this story of, that Bob Lazar tells about um, Area 51, and and he says you know there was a the you know there's these aliens there. The, they work with scientists, but in like the late 70s there was a a misunderstanding between the aliens and the scientists and the aliens pulled out their laser guns and liquidated all the scientists just killed like 50 of them right and so you're like wow that's a crazy story and then but then the question is like well 
Bob, where, what about their families? Like, what about the obituaries? What about like, like why, why aren't there like families at the gates of Area 51 saying what happened to our, you know, husbands and brothers and wives and stuff like that, you know? And so, so Bob Lazar comes back and he's like, okay, well, the, the thing is, is that the government would go around to orphanages and they would find scientifically talented orphans who had no families and they would adopt them and then train them to be scientists. So all of the scientists at Area 51 have no families. So nobody missed them when they were, were liquidated. And so like, so it's like one of these things that's like, like the difference for my point being, that's a real stretch in case yeah. that was, you know, like, um, but like, you know, my point being is like the difference between things that are dismissed as conspiracy theories and things that turn out to be true is like, once you start actually kind of poking around and asking for the logistics and really pushing on things, usually stuff turns up and you may not be able to like verify it right away. You know, you may not be able to publish it. You may not be able to get law enforcement interested in it, but it's like, it's not, it's not that difficult to find find these things out once you start looking for them. So yeah. also I wanted to say sometimes the people who did them out themselves, cause they can't stop bragging about it. If they did mm -hmm. something really cool and secret. Yeah. Cause My humans friend, are stupid. Humans yeah. are not as stupid <laughs> as like we imagine the Illuminati to be. Yeah. Right. My friend who paints the Yeti crabs uh, was her family was family friends with Sidney Gottlieb, who was behind MK Ultra, and he would apparently just tell stories all the time about just like, oh yeah, I dosed my wife and didn't tell her, just to see what would happen. Oh so I think also once people once the things are a certain amount of in the past, it's like of course they want to tell people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because yeah, they, the, yeah that, that's the only way they can feel like the horrible things they did have meaning. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, because like what, yeah, if you did these horrible things and then you just could never talk about them, like, yeah. oh, man. And because they can't believe they got away with it. They're like, right. isn't that crazy? <laughs> like, we were just allowed to do whatever we wanted to people. Yeah, yeah. Um, should we go on to the next question? Yeah, let's, we've got two more here. Um, first... Does your research suggest that darker conspiracies like 5G and COVID and QAnon versus more wonder focused <clears throat> like Sasquatch and cryptids share a similar impulse? Does it basically just boil down to the secret knowledge component you mentioned? Oh, I think that's that's maybe part of it. I mean, again, like what I tried to do in the, the sort of arc of the book was to really um, start from that sort of place of wonder and sort of see how it got to that place of like darkness. And like, like I found, what I found really interested is that like both the like, the cryptids and the UFOs kind of were born from that place of wonder, but only one of them really sort of led down a really dark and terrible path. And like, you know, cryptids, like they just don't trigger that same kind of sense of paranoia or like, you know, conspiracy, you know, it's, it's like, it's a conspiracy of like the Redwoods, you know, the Redwoods are the ones who are conspiring to keep Bigfoot from us. It's not like, you know, men in black or something like that. Right. So I did think it was kind of interesting that like both of them kind of come from the same impulse, but it's very specific conditions that kind of transition into these kind of like more kind of sinister versions of reality. I mean, Bigfoot, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, I mean, it, it also seems like a big distinction is that once you start to get into people having like stories, personal narratives, like the case with the UFO stuff, we read communion for our book club also. So we went down that whole path and, uh, and yeah, like the and 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 I'm glad you got into the stuff about like how you know it does seem to match the patterns of of abuse stories as well. Like there's this sort of um, and when people come together to share their narratives about that and kind of build this story together, that's a very different thing than like 
I was in the woods and I had this sublime experience where I encountered a, a cryptid. Um, right. It's a very different kind of thing to share with people and to like a, and a story to tell. Yeah, I feel like I feel like the the cryptid story is really about on some level our kind of estrangement from nature mm -hmm. and the UFO story, particularly once the UFO story becomes the alien story. The alien story is a lot more about our estrangement from ourselves, you know, in, in this kind of fundamental way. But yeah. Yeah. I was going to say also Bigfoot acts alone, you know, it's yeah. just one Bigfoot. But the right. aliens are, there's a lot of them. It's not a system of Bigfoots. Yeah. Well, the network. Well, but they, they're, like, they're families now. But, and also they are aliens now. This is like, they have, the streams have merged. Mm. And now all the Bigfoot people I talk to are like, Bigfoot rides around in a flying saucer. Mm -hmm. Oh, come on. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Right. Yeah. And it's like, got a and, tall ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's a cylindrical UFO. That that's what that little happening. bump in the middle is. The little, like, that's just where he, yeah. So he can stand up. It seems like the streams are merging with some of the QAnon stuff, too, with just anything, anything yeah. else. Well, this is, you know, this was a thing about, like, why do so many of these conspiracy theories, like, ultimately just become anti-Semitic? You know, like, sooner or later, it's about the Jews. And, like, Always. Part of, and part of that is because... Um, like conspiracy theories by their nature they have to keep growing they're kind of like sharks like they can't they can't just stop because you're always looking for a new explanation for why this conspiracy theory hasn't been revealed or isn't like yeah. out it so it has to keep expanding and taking in new aspects and it's also like a it's a community that rewards um belief and and does not reward skepticism so if you're like if you believe in lizard people and somebody comes along and said, well, the lizard people are actually Jews. Like, you don't get any kudos for pushing back on that and say, well, that's too far for me. You know, like, it's just like <laughs> the whole the whole motivation is like, like, I'll go along with your theory and you go along with mine. And we'll just say that Jews are lizard people. But we're, bo we're both happy now. You know, it's right. just a like lot that. of yes. Anding conspiracy yeah, right. theories are yeah. really into improv. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> True, they right. always have to keep growing. It has to like, keep. They keep have to be growing. scalable. They're also like startups. It's like right. you it's can't. Like just... It's like yeah, yeah. there's, there's got to be constant growth. Yeah. Yeah. That's Are we ready for our last question here? Yeah, yeah. All right. How do people in science or a more STEM technical field better communicate to include lay people? Can we be helping to dispel the more harmful conspiracies, or are credentials just a mental turnoff? Oh no, you definitely can. Like, and 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 I feel like I don't I don't want to put this in the like the lap of scientists because I feel like you know you all have um, hard enough jobs as it is. But I do think that um, what I found is like like five years ago I was the guy who was like on the Facebook thread with like my coworker or my like cousin who had posted some sort of weird conspiracy theory, and I was like you know like arguing with them in the comments, and it quickly became like a flame war, and like it didn't work, and they ended up just never speaking to me again. And um, what I learned is that like, it's like the, tr the truth and the actual facts are just not dispositive for, for, for a person who's in that place because what the conspiracy theory is doing for them is like a deeper psychological thing. Like it's right. accomplishing something else for them. And like once it's, once, it is, once it's doing that, then the facts themselves are just, they're just, they're, they're easy enough to disprove, right? So like, so for me, it's always like now, now, like when I approach these things, it's like, okay, rather than just say, this is dumb and you're, you're foolish, you know, crap or whatever. Like what I'm like, okay, what, what is, what need is this satisfying? Yeah. You know, like, what yeah. is this, what is this person sort of getting out of like viewing the world in this way? And like, can 
like the facts are still necessary. They're just not sufficient in my experience. Like it's more about like, what can I like unearth about this belief system? And, and is there a way to sort of address that and maybe do, do the kind of Indiana Jones swap where you're like, I'm still going to meet this psychological need with you, but I'm going to do it in something that's not a conspiracy theory kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a Yeti hand. Right. Yeah. Take, take it. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, I, I guess that's the end of our, that's our last question, right? Yeah. That's our last okay. question. Um, Emily and Molly, do either of you have any last questions for Colin before we say goodbye? Um, I don't think so. I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked about this book. I hope that yeah, our too. listeners check it out. Uh, it's my, very well timed. My only question is like, what do you think the next big cryptid rush will be about? Um, well, the big one right now is Dogman. So, and like, and again, it's like Dogman, the thing I don't, I don't, I'm not a super huge Dogman fan because it's, it's like, it's already supernatural. It's like Dogman like talks and like, and also it's like this Godzilla thing where like, um, um, you know, Bigfoot used to be the villain, but now Bigfoot fights Dogman. Like I, I, I talked to these, I talked to these guys, <laughs> this paranormal society who went on this, um, who went on this ghost hunt and, and they're like, you know, we, we called our psychic. The psychic said it was going to be a good, a good event. We saw these glowing red eyes and then we saw Dogman and then Bigfoot. And I'm listening to this and I'm like, Guys, you're just gilding the lily. You're just, you're just like, <laughs> around. like if you, you could just say the glowing red eyes and that would be cool and spooky. And like, people could just like fill in their own, like, but you can't just like narrate this whole epic battle. It's just, it's just too much. But yeah, that seems to be, that seems to be where we're going is, is dog camp. Are wow. there any people, do people con connect uh, nuclear power to cryptids? Um, so funnily enough, that story that I was just telling you that, that, ghost cryptid hunt um, took place in a place um, in upstate New York, very near to where I used to live, uh, a place called Nuclear Lake, um, which is so named because there was a plutonium explosion uh, there in like the like late 60s or something like that. Oh, fun. So, yeah. Nice. I love nature. Right. There, yeah, exactly. Uh, my it's favorite a beautiful lake. It's a really beautiful lake. If you're <laughs> sure. the on the Appalachian Trail, it's so worth going there. Uh, yeah, love Joe Rogan, conspiracy fan Joe Rogan lives in a gated community that is built on the site of a nuclear meltdown in like the Simi Hills. Nice, nice. Um, it's interesting again. You're like, oh, that conspiracy that's true doesn't interest you, doesn't intrigue you. Right, the one right. About going bypassing zoning laws to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're gonna um, say our goodbyes. Thank you all so much for a really fun, fascinating discussion. Uh, yeah, I had thank you so much for hosting yeah, it. Yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. Thanks to everybody who joined. Thanks for all the questions and comments. Uh, thanks for coming out. Thanks to yeah. Molly and Emily, but not to Tess. <laughs> she has like a complex. She's fine. Tess fine. is She's with fine. us in spirit. She's I'm a ghost Tess is here. covering. Over. Here's Tess. She's here. Thank you guys. This was so much fun. I was, yes. I was puffed to be Tess able to do this. wanted to be a brain in a jar, so she'll be really happy, actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's got her wish. Mm -hmm. The water um, is warm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, thanks, right. Colin. Thank you, everybody, for being yeah. here. Everybody order Colin's book, The Unidentified, from Just Skylight. Click that it's right there. It's yeah, so click the button. Push yeah. the button. One click. <laughs> We're all clicking. Mm -hmm. Push the button, um, get the pellet. 
And just so everyone knows, this will be available for replay just a few minutes after. So you can send the link out to anyone who couldn't attend the live stream and they can watch the whole thing. Cool. Great. Awesome. All right. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Um, have a great night. Uh, stay safe. Look, keep keep your eyes peeled for Bigfoot. Um, <laughs> he's friendly, though. Like, he's not trying to mess with us. Yeah, friendly. No, he's cool. No, he's okay. Okay. <laughs> he around. Just All right. Dog man. <laughs> yeah, I got to know more about dog man, but yeah. He's out there. Yeah. All right, everyone. Well, okay. Let's, let's say our goodbyes. Let's wave. Um, thank you all again for being here, and we hope to see you in person someday soon. Yes. Okay, bye, bye. Bye. Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.